Hello and welcome. This is the Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Levine. I'm Drew Kushner. And we're so excited to get into it. We've got a big agenda today. We're discussing the Nationals. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. This is not the right Ben and Drew. Who are you guys? What are you doing here? I mean, last time I checked, I'm Drew. That's Ben. And and this is the Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I feel feel like we're we're in the right spot. Uh, Okay. All right. I'm not really sure what's going on here. Uh, I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. And this is The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. Hi, everybody. Uh, This is the real Ben and the real Drew uh, back with you. Uh, Drew, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Uh, I want to thank Drew Kushner and Ben Levine of Wesley and Mock Trial. It was so great to have both of them on for that little April Fool's joke. But yes, it is the real us. I am Drew Evans. That is Ben Garmo. And uh, this is the Mock Review. Uh, But Ben, we got a really great episode. I'm I'm really looking forward to kind of knocking into this uh, Nationals case. So I'll I'll throw it over to you. Give folks a little preview of what to expect. Yeah, so we're working on a couple episodes to uh, preview Nationals, and we've got the first one today. Uh, we're going to have a great conversation with Amanda Mundell. As you'll hear from that conversation, Amanda uh, has a long and, and decorated history with mock trial at a number of levels, uh, and she's a member of the NCT case committee. Uh, and we're really excited to get to talk to her and just kind of dig into everything about this case. You know, we've done case author uh, episodes for the last three uh, main cases. We've had Mike Gelfand on twice and Neil Shute on once, uh, but we've never had an NCT case author on before. Uh, and I'm super excited uh, to talk to Amanda. We're also uh, recording at least this segment after the division draw has taken place. And Drew, I, I had to laugh. Um, you know, the division draw is always a lot of fun. I always really look forward to it, you know, when we make nationals, because I just think it's a, a cool thing to get to watch. But I, I had to chuckle when Jonathan Woodward was was getting started and, you know, he was doing his thing. Um, and he mentioned that uh, one of the things I always do, uh, even though the cards have been shuffled beforehand, because uh, of all of your crazy conspiracy theories out there, uh, we'll shuffle the cards in front of you. And I was like, oh, hey, like he might be talking about us. Um, I think he more means like maybe some of the folks who submit things on mock trial confessions. But I like I he obviously was speaking somewhat in jest. Uh, but I just I don't know. It's always fun to me when like like the craziness of like the peripheral world like has to sneak into little AMTA events. So I, <laughs> I enjoyed seeing that at the beginning of the division draw. You know, I got to say, I'm always so impressed by the fact that Jonathan Wilbur knows every single college mascot. Like, that to me is... I just had the like, same thought. It's so cool. Like, I I, I got to know, like, does, do you think he researches it beforehand? Or do you think he just has this repository of just, he knows every single college mascot to ever exist? I, I, I remember even when, when we first made Nationals, and uh, to be fair, to be fair, he did mispronounce... Haverford called it Haverford, but I'll forgive him for that. Um, but it, I just, I was always very impressed that he always, he's always got all of them down. He's ready and prepared. Yeah. I, I actually, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I had the exact same thought when I was listening to the division draw. I don't know if he has like, like a secret list that we can't see uh, of all of them. And, and like some of them, he probably just knows off the top of sure, his head, sure. but it's just like, I mean, I, I forget if we discussed it when we had him on the show, but I remember, you know, when I won my very first all region award back, you know, the first year that UMBC mock trial existed, he was our rep. 
and he gave, he was the one who gave me the award. And I specifically remember, I mean, I mean, nobody knew who UMBC mock trial was at that time, but I remember him saying an all region retriever. Uh, and I remember just thinking how cool that was. Uh, and I love, you know, I'll be very honest when I rep, I have tried to learn from how he does things like the division draw or ceremonies and inject some energy and some enthusiasm into it. Cause there's, there's nothing worse than like you go to a regional, you get a bid and the rep is like with six wins from UMBC, <laughs> you know? And it's like, right, are we yeah, in right. Ferris Bueller's day off here? Like Bueller, 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 Bueller. Bueller. You know, this is great. People are cheering. It's exciting. Like, let's have a good time. So props to to Jonathan, as always, for just, just crushing it like he usually does. You know, it, it's funny in you talking about that. I had this very vivid memory of when I was at Orcs um, the year that we made it to Nationals. And, you know, me and the rest of the Habford team are kind of all sitting there biting our nails, being nervous as hell. And Mike Gelfand, um, a friend of the pod who's come on here multiple times in the past, um, he was actually the Amta rep for that tournament, and he was announcing the results. And um, little known fact, Mike Gelfand actually was technically our our mentor um, when we first started out as a program. So our presidents um, at the time had had met with him and knew him and had spoken to him a little bit about getting involved in Amta and, and you know how that was going to look like. And it was cool um, when he announced us. He, he kind of mentioned that and mentioned you know first time ever making it the Fords of Haver- you know the Black Squirrels of Haverford. Um, which was, uh, I mean, such a surreal moment and just kind of, I think you're totally right that especially for teams when it's so much enjoyment and excitement and getting a little bit of that enthusiasm back from someone talking about it feels amazing. Um, and I'll also just say, I it, it sucks to me that some of this is on Zoom because I think that you don't get the same like, like cheering and support from everyone around you. Like I remember that there was always such a support network of when you would get your award or when your team would win, all the teams that faced you, that you had a good experience with, they would all be standing up there and clapping and your friends from other teams would be like cheering you on. And I just think that was such a fun part of those award ceremonies that I feel like we've been missing this year. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's funny. It does call back those memories for me. Yeah. I I think we talked about it last year. Um, One of the last in-person tournaments that, my team went to was the Washington DC regional mm-hmm. last January. And I believe it was Lehigh, if I recall correctly, who got the sixth and final bid out of that regional. And it was their first orcs bid. Um, and I was chatting with them just a little bit on the way out. And like, you know, I mean, they were, they were floating 10 feet off the ground, right? Oh. Like, you know, they could have danced back home. They were so excited. And I agree with you. Like, obviously when teams get, you know, bids for the first time this year, it's it's still really cool and we should really celebrate it. But that's, you know, I think going back to sort of the impetus of this topic, people like Jonathan are a great example of, you know, how awesome it is when you have people from AMTA, whether they're reps or board members or both or whatever, who make an effort to make it special. Um, You know, I'll never forget, you know, certain announcements of certain bids over the years and the reps that that made an effort to make it like a really special and really cool moment. So I agree with you. And I think that, you know, nationals, we're obviously going to do the best we can with it being on Zoom. But like we've said before, we're all kind of looking forward to the day when we can do this stuff in person. Oh, 100%. 
Well, I think at that point, that's about everything that we have to discuss. So let's take a quick break. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will be right back in just a second with our conversation with NCT case author Amanda Mundell. Welcome back to The Mock Review. For the first part of our Nationals preview, we are thrilled to welcome Amanda Mundell back to the show. Amanda is an attorney for the U.S. Department of Justice, and she's a mock trial coach at the UCLA School of Law. She's a former mock trial competitor and national champion at UCLA undergrad and Harvard Law. And of course, she's a friend of the podcast. Amanda was on the show several episodes ago in her role as co-author of Winning Objections, and we had a great time discussing the book with her and her co-authors, Brian Pilchik and Emily Miller. But for the purposes of this episode, Amanda is here as a member of the AMTA National Championship Tournament Civil Case Committee, where she helped write the 2021 NCT case, Weston Meyer v. Walton. Amanda, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks, Ben. Drew, it's great to be here. Well, Amanda, we're so thrilled to have you. And I guess the where we're going to start is it's our understanding that you've actually already been on a couple of national case committees, specifically the Taylor v. Trifecta and the, and the Parker Barrow case. Um, and I got to say that those have a lot of meaning to both Ben and I um, because the U.S. v. Parker Barrow case was, of course, my first and only national championship case that I ever got to do. And Taylor v. Trifecta was Ben's first. Um, and, you know, I know I loved the Barrow case. I thought it was just a wonderful, fun case. I thought it was well-balanced. It was just a lot of fun. So I guess just to start out, um, you know, how was writing on those two cases? What did you think of them? Uh, and, and how did that go? So it's always a pleasure to serve on the case uh, committee, whether that's a criminal case committee or civil. It's It's been a lot of fun. It's been challenging. Um, the trifecta case is my first case. And that was sort of an exciting, you know, theft-based case. It's a copyright case, um, but you get that emotional impact of, you know, someone stealing somebody's idea. And then the year that we wrote the Parker Barrow case, of course, is very exciting. Amta had never had an armed robbery for a bank before. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And I think just those two years, you really start to learn um, how best you can, anyway, make a case balanced uh, make it interesting, try to make the topic either socially relevant or at least relatable to college students um, so that when they open the case packet, they're not sort of wondering, you know, how does this relate to my life or will this be interesting? Um, so I was very pleased to be asked to join the committee again this year. And I, I hope we we put together a case that students like. So can you talk to us a little bit then about this year, uh, you know, what, what it's been like this year, what kind of the challenges have been, um, or just, you know, kind of the smaller committee now that you guys have been working with. Uh, what's that all been like? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with mock trial being virtual, uh, it's, you know, trying to craft a case that will work in a virtual format presents its own challenges. Um, but I will say, you know, every committee I've been on, we've always had members who are just in different states and different time zones. Um, and so, you know, hopping on a conference call to talk through case ideas felt exactly as it did this year, as it did, you know, in 2017. Um, and 2018 when we released the other two cases. So at least that um, was familiar. But um, it is it is hard, I think, to build a case that is well-suited for a virtual tournament. Um, and we tried to do that in a couple of ways, you know, leaving the students enough flexibility to create their own instru- interesting demos um, and including, you know, enough exhibits in the case file that they would want to share um, with judges in a visual format 
Um, and then, of course, with the time constraints this year um, being what they are, trying to create a case that's not too complex or too long that they would you know, be better suited to the original time formats before things went virtual. All of that makes a lot of sense. And I'll also, before I get to my next question, I'll echo what Drew just said. Um, you know, I didn't do uh, US v. Parker Barrow, but Taylor v. Trifecta was our first nationals case. I loved that case. I thought that case was super interesting and a lot of fun. And it's still a case that I use examples from, you know, to teach various things, uh, you know, to this day. So I thought that was such a great case. Uh, but you've already mentioned this a little bit. So I'll sort of dig into this, which is specifically this case topic. So I have a couple questions related to that, but I guess the first one being kind of broad is how does that process work behind the scenes? You know, we're always interested in trying to take listeners behind the scenes of how do uh, the things that we eventually see, you know, as as members of the ANTA community, how do they happen from start to finish? So uh, sort of a two-parter, what's the process like for selecting uh, a case topic for nationals and then how did that process go and, and how did you settle on the case topic you eventually used for this year's case? So every year that I've been on the committee, it may differ, um, but we've always had everybody pretty eager to throw out some case topics. Uh, and that usually happens in our very first intro email or intro call among each other. Um, and, you know, some of these ideas range from the totally impractical and unrealistic and just kind of, you know, joke suggestions to some really interesting and exciting case topics. And that was, you know, no different this year. Each of us, I think, proposed maybe one or two or even three different case topic ideas. And we usually try to, you know, identify the cause of action, kind of identify, like, what is the main fight between plaintiff and defendant, and then throw out four or five witnesses just to get the ball rolling under each case topic so that everybody on the committee can sort of visualize what a round might look like. Um, and if a case is going to have a lot of witnesses that are all kind of the same, if it's a case that has way too many scenes where it'll just be sort of too distracting or, you know, the, the setting is just too dispersed to tell a cohesive story, you know, those topics tend to not really get picked. Um, but in terms of how we settled on this one, you know, we actually had a couple of committee members who have some bed bug related experiences. Um, so James mm -hmm. Boyce, who's on the committee, um, actually had a colleague who litigated a landlord-tenant um, dispute, a breach of warranty of habitability case involving a massive bed bug infestation. And so he was able to bring to the committee some actual concrete background on you know, the procedural history of that case, some of the factual um, issues in that case, so that we could kind of visually see this playing out in real life. Um, and we had another committee member who <laughs> had unfortunately too close of an encounter um, with bed bugs in a living situation. Um, and, you know, really genuinely found it very difficult to eradicate. Um, and that was also kind of a, a property management type problem as well. So I think having some real world experience with the issue <laughs> gave us all a little bit of comfort that we're not going to be writing from a totally fantastical viewpoint, um, but can hopefully bring, you know, some realism to, I think, a topic that has some social relevance, hopefully nothing that hits too close to home with students, but I think so many college students at least can relate to negotiating leases or, you know, renting an apartment in a landlord-tenant situation where the power dynamic is just so skewed towards the landlord that the tenant, you know, the student often has to suck it up and, you know, deal with some conditions that maybe are not as, um, 
you know, habitable as they would like. Um, and so, you know, giving students an example of an issue that actually affects, you know, a substantial population of our country and, you know, in a, in a setting where they can kind of visualize this type of dispute, I think is good. Um, and it's, it's topical in that sense. So the lesson I take from that is if a member of this year's committee says, hey, stay in my guest room for a couple of days, we should say no, right? <laughs> that's, that's like just not a good idea is what I'm taking from this year. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, we never had we never had a try with the pandemic. Um, but yeah, I was, I, I'm, I'm grateful I've never had a real life encounter with a bed bug, though now I have to admit I'm totally terrified to um, stay in a hotel <laughs> or, you know, anywhere else where I might, you know, pick up some of these traffickers. Right. It's a good thing that, that, you know, in a normal year, no one in a mock trial community ever stays at like like a cheap budget hotel in a strange city or anything like that. <laughs> right. Uh, Never happens once. <laughs> right. Exactly. But so to stay on that topic for just one second, because I, I think, you know, it's interesting hearing you explain that and, and talking about like the power dynamic and, and, you know, the sort of the underpinnings of this case. That makes a lot of sense. But a, sort of a specific follow up on that is. You know, obviously, so so my team's going to nationals, so so we've started preparing this case, you know, to to actually try it in, in just a couple of weeks and, and not nearly enough time. Uh, and one of the questions I had was related to, you know, this being specifically the nationals case. When, when you settled on this topic or when you're discussing this topic, I feel like this topic maybe is a little bit different from what we've seen in previous nationals case. Were there any discussions or concerns amongst the committee that either the subject matter and specifically the nature of, of bed bugs or the nature of the case being, you know, a landlord tenant dispute, whether or not that was, for lack of a better term, sort of interesting enough for nationals, whether or not, you know, with with how hard teams try to get to nationals and how important it is for teams, you know, was there any discussion about whether or not that case topic was sort of, I guess, compelling enough to be the nationals case? Definitely. And I think, you know, your question echoes a little bit of, of even what I've read on mock trial confessions, which is that this case has been a little polarizing in terms of, you know, student interest or, um, you know, just the, the gravity of the case topic. Um, but I think, you know, whenever we're on these committees, we do try to put together a case that'll be unique. So something AMPTA has never done before, something that's going to be exciting enough that when it gets revealed at the last orcs, everybody's kind of enthusiastic to jump in. Um, and, you know, doubling down on a pest related case, I think was a bold move um, with so many <laughs> students getting a little <laughs> fed up with, um, with talking about pesticides. Uh, but I will say, I do think that this case has a different emotional impact than, you know, some of your run of the mill negligence cases with the grieving widow or a grieving spouse or a grieving parent. Um, here, you know, the emotional impact lands a little bit differently. And the fact that, you know, nobody is, is, is dealing with lasting injuries, but of course there's an economic uh, dispute here. And, you know, these people had to deal with these conditions for a long time, I think allows students to tell a different story. And I think that alone should be exciting and valuable. Um, whether, you know, the cause of action is as exciting as an armed robbery case, uh, <laughs> probably not. Um, but, but I do think it's something that we talked about. Uh, and in particular, I think I really came around to the idea because we hadn't really done a punitive damages aspect of a case before. And I think that end adds a, a little bit more drama and a little bit more to students' presentation as well. So hopefully, when the, when the students get really immersed in the case, they start to identify with some of these characters and some of these parties um, and can really 
you know, put themselves in these parties' shoes and feel that emotional impact. And I hope that excites students. You actually set me up almost perfectly at the end for my one other follow-up question that I swear we actually didn't plan this out, but my one follow-up question was related to characters. Uh, Because one of the reactions I did have to this case, Drew and I have talked about this on the podcast before, you know, how important character witnesses are to this activity and how incredibly challenging it is to run character witnesses when somebody dies every year. Um, And how you have that incredibly challenging balance of running a unique character witness and running a comedic witness in a case when it seems like, you know, for the last several years, you know, AMTA has been with the exception of the Nationals case two years ago, you know, where, where people keep dying. And so was there any discussion about maybe trying to free up teams a little bit that again, not to, not that this case isn't serious, but I think, you know, like if we're talking about ranking seriousness levels between like, Hey, this person might've poisoned their child's fiance and Hey, we have a landlord tenant dispute between bedbugs. Clearly, you know, we've sort of taken it down a notch in terms of the intensity. Um, so was there any discussion about, you know, maybe a topic like this could, uh, do what you were accomplishing, what you were just discussing, while also, you know, maybe tilting the balance a little bit back in the direction of allowing teams to run, you know, really detailed and immersive character witnesses? That's a great question. You know, I don't know. I don't know that that's something we consciously uh, really focused on when we were writing the witnesses. But I do think that we tried to focus on at least putting out a case problem that was a little bit lighter um, than first of all, than what is going on in the world. And secondly, than I think a lot of the cases that the students have litigated or tried already. Um, and I think, you know, you're totally right. The witnesses in this case packet are a lot freer in terms of, you know, the emotional range or the comedic range. Um, and in fact, I think, you know, we're particularly proud of a witness like Blaine Crawford, which is kind of this blue collar type expert, right? So even freeing up students from their traditional expert roles, and allowing them to, you know, lean into an expert type witness who is maybe a lot more normal and like less sophisticated than your normal doctor with the microscope and the glasses and things like that. Um, so we definitely tried to create some characters that would be fun, um, that wouldn't be hard for students to pull off given, you know, their personnel constraints in the, the Peony Estates case, but still something that they could reach for and get excited about. You know, Amanda, something that you mentioned that I, I wanted to follow up on that I thought was an interesting point, uh, just the, this concept of, you know, the seriousness of this year and trying to do kind of a lighter case. I, I really like that. I responded to that. And I, I, I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind with this. Um, I will fully admit as someone who, um, you know, I had a very much more mild run in with bed bugs um, on a like family trip a while ago. The truth um, comes that looked out. Nothing like this. <laughs> um, but I, I will just say that seeing the exhibits that you guys have in this made me just fear for my life. And I was like, holy cow. Um, <laughs> and, and I think it was definitely a, a welcomed, um, I guess, a, a different type of emotion than I've been feeling for the last year. <laughs> um, maybe a little bit more just downright disgust um, instead of the sadness. So, you know, I, I, it's nice for that change of pace. Um, I do want to move us forward, though, a little bit and, and talk a little bit about the process that you guys took for the writing and editing of this case, though. Um, you know, obviously, within any case, there's kind of you divide up the work, but I'm curious as to how exactly that happened in this case. Um, you know, how many witnesses were you writing or just how was that kind of collaborative process? Yeah, so we uh, we were a very collaborative group. Um, 
I mean, it's always very collegial, but Dan, who is our chair, um, was pretty good about just kind of allowing us the flexibility to choose who we want to write or choose what exhibits we want to create and things like that. So we pretty much each tried to take one to two witnesses and write those affidavits, circulate them to the group, get comments, that sort of thing. Um, and then some folks took the complaint and answer, some took the case law um, and stipulations and um, a few of the other sort of intro material things. And then a few of us collaborated and created some of these exhibits. Pulling the photographs, um, I'm grateful I did not have to pull so many bed bug <laughs> related photos. And and believe me, we could have included worse um, if you can oh, believe sure. that. That's horrifying. Don't um, tell me that. I want to know that was, there's worse. Yeah. And in fact, I mean, we did find some pretty bad images, but just for case balance thought, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't include these. Um, but it was pretty collaborative. And at the end of the day, um, one of our other members, Kyle, um, who's been on, on these committees, I think for five years and, you know, who's been on the AMTA board for many, many years, uh, pulled everything together into one document, which we then all individually redlined, recirculated it out to um, independent reviewers who read it and gave us their reactions and then finalized it and, and sent it out. And, and now we're receiving <laughs> questions about, you know, typos and other <laughs> case related problems that, um, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to say something about. So, Amanda, we kind of alluded to this before, but, you know, obviously the, the context of this year, um, it's been a dreary one. It's been, you know, a completely virtual year of mock trial. And, and uh, I'm kind of curious how that, if at all, played a role in the writing of this case for you guys. Um, was there any consideration of just the fact that this is a virtual format uh, or just, you know, learning from, you know, observations you you or other case uh writers might have had from watching the one last time case or the regular season case and how within that virtual format, what, you know, the differences are. And if there was any consideration like that taken into writing this case, I'd be really curious about it. Yeah, I, I think we did think about it a couple times, more so in just the selection of the case um, than really once we got down and started writing the, the nitty gritty details. Um, we had a couple of case topics that we really liked, but we sort of realized partway through you know, this would be a really hard case to try virtually because it's so visual dependent that unless we created just the most awesome looking exhibits, um, it would be really hard to find photographs of something important or, you know, surveillance video of something important. So the virtual format in that sense, I think, reminded us that we need to have some exhibits that students can put up that have sort of an immediate visual impact instead of, you know, making them comb through text by text and pulling out complex stuff. Um, and of course, you know, the virtual format brought a different time format too, um, which was definitely something that we thought about. So, you know, there's a lot to tackle in this case. It's, it's definitely not a, a really short case, but we, we tried to trim it enough that students could do it, that they could put up some exciting stuff, create their own demos, um, and make the virtual format work for them. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that it's so, you know, I actually... I wasn't planning on following up, but but I'll ask one quick thing on that because this topic is really interesting to me. And, and Drew alluded to it, but the the time limits, right? We, we talked to Mike Gelfand, who was the chair of the case committee for you know the regular season, and he talked about some of the challenges of you know writing a case with these new time limits. Uh, you've of course written NCT cases for the regular time limits. Uh, now you know NCT cases are by their their very nature kind of pared down a little bit, but. Uh, was there any sort of discussion or consideration about how to write a case that 
considers the fact that that teams just have less time to work with when they're preparing their materials? Definitely. And I think there were a couple points where I, or maybe another member of the committee, you know, we really liked um, one sort of factual dispute that we wanted to insert, but we had to remind ourselves, you know, if we make this one more thing that plaintiff has to argue or one more thing that the defense has to argue, it's going to be really hard for students to put all of that together on, you know, a cross or on a direct and then bring it in with closing. So I think the way that we tried to resolve some of that was, of course, to use some stipulations. You know, we left out some stuff from affidavits that might have otherwise created like an extra little factual dispute and things like that. So that was top of mind for me, at least, because I've judged so many of the regular season case um, in scrimmages or at competitions. And I've seen students run out of time and I just didn't <laughs> I didn't want them to feel that way. So hopefully they can do it. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it, it was a challenge this year. I mean, like, you know, we've talked about that on the podcast about just trying to fit what I felt like a case that was, you know, that maybe not completely written with with the time constraints fully considered uh, into the new time constraints was definitely challenging. Uh, so that's encouraging to hear. Uh, but switching gears for just a second, because, of course, we can't have you on the podcast and not ask this next question. Uh, so, of course, you are one of three co-authors of Winning Objections, which we, as you know, on the podcast wholeheartedly endorse. And, and we have a great time discussing that several episodes ago. So, of course, that is something that is near and dear to your heart. You co-wrote an entire book about mock trial objections. Um, so from your perspective, and then I also also from the committee's perspective, how did that factor into your preparation in terms of thinking about like fun evidentiary issues that you could put into the case to maybe challenge the students on their knowledge a little bit, uh, you know, in a way that sort of goes hand in hand with the book that you helped write? Uh, yeah, it is definitely an, an issue that's near and dear to my heart. I love uh, the rules of evidence and objections, and I think about them all the time. So when I write an affidavit, I don't necessarily write it um, with you know certain objections in mind, but as the words come to me, I, I just sort of find myself writing sentences that I find objectionable, and then you know <laughs> writing paragraphs that sort of introduce a new layer of you know maybe an expert opinion issue. This is what keeps issue. me up at night, so we're clear. <laughs> so, but but you will be surprised to hear that in fact. I was not maybe the leading proponent in ensuring that we all sort of created unique evidentiary issues for the students to solve. But instead, Michael Polovich on our committee, um, who wisely reminded us on a call not long before we circulated the final version of the case, saying, can we just check and make sure that we've included enough objection battles in here to keep things interesting, but not too, you know, bogged down. <laughs> so oh, I, I appreciated the reminder, but I, I do think there's some interesting stuff here for students to fight over, but not so many that it's going to, you know, make these rounds drag on. Um, I think, I think we've created a case that students can tell in a pretty clear and clean theory, um, but still have a little bit of fun of trying to get certain things in. Look, as long as there isn't a state v. Owens, like mini closing at the end of trial anymore. Ooh, deep cut. Holy cow. Oh, that, that, I just, I mean, I loved that Hendricks case, but also like the half season where Amta accidentally introduced an appellate argument. Right. right. Um, well, Amanda, I, I think that something that is always a tough thing for nationals cases is case balance. You don't get the benefits of a regular season case and it getting tried through invitationals through regionals where you get all this data to try to balance the case. Um, so I'm curious what you guys did um, to attempt to balance the case as best you could um, 
when you don't have that data necessarily to go off of and just kind of from reading it, but what is the process like for you to try to ensure that this is a balanced case? Yeah, it it, it is really hard. Um, and, you know, the Nationals case is always really tricky because we don't have that feedback and we can't just look it around and say, oh, too many plaintiff teams are winning. Let's add a little fact here. Um, so I, I think generally you go into these civil cases and especially to criminal cases too, thinking there's going to be a little bit of a defense bias, um, because, you know, preponderance of the evidence, at least for a plaintiff is kind of a low standard, but the defense always gets a little, they can get a little indignant or self-righteous and, you know, there can be a little bit more of an emotional impact on defense sometimes. So then you have to kind of look at the, the elements of the cause of action. So here, breach of warranty of habitability and think, okay, for a plaintiff team to win around, you know, what are the facts that they're going to need to prove? And are they going to be able to call the witnesses that they need to prove those facts on their case in chief? And then do the same thing with defense um, with, you know, what are the facts that they need to have to really hit back hard on plaintiff? And once we kind of have those sketched out, then um, it's just kind of a matter of making sure that there aren't too many facts in one bucket for one side than the other. Um, and here, I mean, as we were writing, we kind of, at first we were very defense leaning, I think, and then we added some more stuff for plaintiff. And then we took a look at the case holistically and thought, you know, there's just way too much stuff for plaintiff now. It's it's way too easy, no matter what combination of witnesses they'll call, to put together a case that they win every time, at least as far as, you know, scoring ballots would go. So then we pulled away from some of that, and I hope we we landed somewhere in the, in the balance. But um, it it is always really challenging, um, and I hope we don't see too many imbalance rounds. Yeah, and that's such an interesting process to to talk about, and and I think it's you know I mean at nationals too. I mean you're dealing with a small sample size, um, and so you know even the case balance statistics at nationals, it's like how representative you know would that be over the course of a season. But I'm really excited to see how this case plays out. And I can tell you, when I read it, I thought it it read balanced and, and felt to me like there was plenty to work with on both sides. Phew, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for whatever that's worth, which may be absolutely nothing. Um, but to sort of uh, move us towards our last question, Amanda, of course, we've talked all about how this case was prepared and, and you know, just everything that you all did to uh, make the case happen. So, of course, in just a couple of weeks... This case is actually going to get tried at nationals, and this case will be used to crown a national champion. So what are you looking forward to uh, in terms of seeing this case in action? Like what, you know, when you think about, okay, the best teams in the country are going to go put on trials with this case, what are you looking forward to? And do you think you'll jump in and judge a couple rounds of the case at national? Oh, gosh, I, w- I would love to judge. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, I, I've not volunteered or been asked to, but I think that would be great. Um, I, I would love to see at least one bug or pest related pun. Um, just one. I don't need a lot, but I would just love a little humor. Um, but I think I, there's so many great characters that students can bring to this case um, on both sides, you know, I, without sort of getting into who I think is kind of the best witnesses to call or anything like that. I think there's a lot of range in the Taylor Bauer character. There's a lot of range in the Crawford character. Um, I think the how character can be fun um, for an expert and of course the parties. So I would love to see some really exciting witness portrayals and then some really good objection battles and some, and some quippy themes. I'm always a sucker for a good case theme. So I'm looking forward to at least watching the final round if it's going to be live streamed um, or if not, you know, catching up later, but if I can judge around, I think that'd be great. Well, I, I, 
I obviously do not speak for AMTA like whatsoever, but it would seem a little nuts to me to not have you and the other members of the committee, you know, judge some rounds given your very in-depth knowledge of the case. Uh, but either way, Amanda, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And, you know, I'm really excited to see how this case plays out. You know, obviously my team is, you know, hard at work digging into it, preparing our theories and our cases. And, you know, Drew and I are really grateful to you for coming on the show to talk about the case and give us the behind the scenes information. Anytime. Thanks for having me, guys. And best of luck to your team, Ben. Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, as always, we appreciate everyone listening. It's a pleasure to be with you. Drew and I are hard at work on a few more episodes to uh, prepare for nationals. We're just a couple weeks away from finish- finishing up the 2021 season. So thanks as always for listening. Until next time, this has been The Mock Review with Ben and Drew.